message, amen? That tomb's empty. Aren't you glad about that? Well, if it wasn't empty, we'd all be in a sad shape, sad shape indeed. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 tonight. We're in our keys to the Bible study, and tonight we're going to talk about the theme of the Bible, the theme of the Bible. We begin by reading Second Timothy chapter two verse fifteen. Of course, the Bible simply says, "Study to shew thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth." We've been focusing on that last phrase, rightly dividing the word of truth, and so we are going to talk tonight and address this issue of the theme of the Bible, the theme of the Bible. Now. <clears throat> What's the Bible about? We start talking about what the Bible's about. And of course, I know right now, if I ask the question, I'm going to, nobody's going to want to answer because they're going to go, great, we're going to mess it all up. He's going to trick us into messing up. When we think about what's in the Bible, what the Bible's about, I guess if I asked the, the question, I think we'd get a number of responses probably in this room. There'd be 10, 15 different answers from 10 or different, 15 different people. And um, the Bible, however, 
has its own theme. It, it determines its theme. Now, you know, <clears throat> some would say, well, it's about the cross of Christ. Some would say it's about redemption story. Some would say it's about the blood of Jesus. I mean, there's all kind of different answers that we would receive when we start talking about the theme of the Bible. And <clears throat> tonight, I want to address that issue. Now, I'm going to tell you what the theme is right off the bat. The theme of the Bible is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth to establish His kingdom. That's the theme of the Bible. And um, we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight and try to help you with that. But it's the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth to establish His kingdom. And uh, we're going to see that's the case over the next few weeks as we not only deal with the theme of the Bible tonight, but as we begin to work through New Testament, Old Testament surveys, as we start to look at the Bible as a whole and we start to take pieces and parts, put it together, we're going to see basically that this book is a story of a king and his kingdom. And that's exactly what the Bible is. A story of the king and his kingdom. And um, everything that happens in the course of that pursuit is simply part of the final objective. I mean, salvation is a wonderful thing. No doubt about it. I'm very thankful for my salvation, but that's not what the Bible is centered around. It may come at the middle of what we would call the Bible. We say, well, it's between the Old and New Testament, kind of, but that's not really what the Bible centers around. The greatest day on God's calendar is not the day that His Son was murdered for our sins. That's not the greatest day on God's calendar. <clears throat> the greatest day on God's calendar is when His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, finally comes back to this earth and gets the rightful, gets what He rightfully belongs, what, what rightfully belongs to Him, and that's a kingdom. That's a throne. And that's what this is all about. <clears throat> so, we're going to note some things tonight and move along here quickly. So, let's have a word of prayer and then we'll move along. Father, we love you. <clears throat> we do thank you for this time together. Lord, how can we thank you enough for your blessed book, the Word of God? Lord, that reveals to us your purpose and your plan, not only for the universe, not only for the ages, but for our own lives even. Thank you, Father, for being so uh, transparent to us, allowing us to see into your heart and into your mind and providing for us the needed tools that we need to be successful in this life and in the next to come. Now, Father, bless us these next minutes. May our hearts be stirred. May we learn and grow and glean from your word. We'll thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. Now, I want you to take your Bible and look over the book of Genesis, chapter 1 again, verse 1. And someone says, oh, great, I know that by heart. Well, then you don't have to turn, do you? But in Genesis 1-1, if you take your Bible and look there, <clears throat> you're going to find a very basic, simple statement. <clears throat> the Bible simply says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What we learn is that there's one God and Creator of all things. That's God. He created. Now, Colossians 1, 16 and 17, of course, For by Him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and by Him all things consist. So, He created all things, and He's the God that created them, and they were created for Him. Okay, and uh, again, it's pretty obvious, pretty simple. At least to us, it seems that way. However, Lucifer couldn't live with it. He couldn't live with that. Turn, if you would, over to the book of Isaiah, chapter 14. 
Isaiah chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. That's in the Old Testament. You probably knew that. Isaiah chapter 14. We're just going to read between verses 12 and 14. Again, one creation, one heaven, one earth. God is the creator of all. It was created for Him, by Him. And that seems simple enough, but Lucifer couldn't live with that. He's Isaiah fourteen twelve. <clears throat> How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mound of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. There's Satan for you. So the real question was, who's going to run the show? Who's going to run the show then? Who's going to be in charge? The Bible begins with a struggle over a throne. And you know what? It ends the exact same way. Take your Bible, look over at Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. Revelation chapter 22, verse 5. Again, the Bible begins with a struggle over a throne. And it ends the same way. Revelation 22, verse 5. Revelation 22, 5 says, And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Again, there's a throne here. We have God's throne. And there are two people after this kingdom. The Lord Jesus Christ and the devil. Two people. Throughout the Bible, you're going to find that these two people are striving after this kingdom, warring back and forth. One, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ who rightly deserves the kingdom. He created all things, so He deserves to be head. The other is Satan himself. He doesn't deserve it, but he's going to spend his entire life and existence trying to thwart God's plan, frustrate God's plan, destroy God's plan, counterfeit God's plan. Every time you see Satan, he's in the process of trying to ruin or mess up or destroy something that God is trying to do in His purpose and plan for the ages. And so we have these two warring factions. Satan, the devil, and Jesus Christ warring after a throne. It's Jesus' rightfully. But Satan's not happy with that. Now, there's an important truth that we have to understand then. We're talking about kingdoms and thrones. The kingdom is divided into two separate kingdoms called the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. We have to keep that in mind as we move forward. It's an important truth. There's the kingdom of God and there's the kingdom of heaven. As we're going to find, they're distinct and different. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, turn there if you would please. We're going to find that these kingdoms exist. Or that at least there's more than one kingdom. Revelation chapter 11 verse 15. 
And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Now again, the word kingdom is plural, and it indicates that there's more than one kingdom. And at first glance, one would say, well, that's just, uh, that's just the kingdoms of this world, meaning America, China, Russia. Now let me tell you, there's more to this as you study your Bible. It isn't just about America, and it isn't just about nations as we understand them. We're talking about kingdoms. We're talking about biblical kingdoms, and God defines those kingdoms, and we're going to find them here in the Word of God. The Bible distinguishes between two very important kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's a foreign thought, and it's a foreign idea, because as you read through your Bible in Matthew, you see 33 times the phrase kingdom of heaven. It is the only place in the entire Bible you find that phrase. But yet when you read it, because you've, you've seen some similarities between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, many times it's assumed that they're the exact same thing. But they're not. They are different. Again, some passages in the Bible do have a tendency to include both or use them interchangeably. I'm not, that you can't argue that. You can't, you can't say differently because it's true. But that doesn't mean that they are the same. That's an incorrect assumption indeed. Now, we're going to consider those two kingdoms for just a few minutes tonight. Because what we're going to do as we move along in the next few weeks is we're going to follow the kingdoms. Ultimately, you can take your Bible and you can say, oh, there's the kingdom of heaven. There's the kingdom of God. Oh, the kingdom of heaven has ceased to exist. But the kingdom of God is here. You understand what I'm saying? We're moving along that timeline I told you about. And you can ultimately see where the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God fall on the timeline. Now, again, it sounds foreign, it sounds crazy, but give me a few minutes. Let's go ahead and take a look at this for just a moment. Let's talk about the kingdom of God now. Turn to Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God. Romans chapter 14, verse 17. Notice in the book of Romans, it says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. I want you to notice physical attributes versus spiritual attributes. Again, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, we would obviously say that's physical attributes. You take tonight, uh, following uh, uh, you know, uh, the services, many of you will have some meat and drink. You're going to eat something and drink something. That's physical. It's for your physical body. Sustains your physical body. However, that's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. The Bible says, And when... He was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Can't see it. You can't see the kingdom of God. You can't see it with these physical eyes. 
Now listen, whatever it is, the kingdom of God, it, it's, it doesn't come with observation. Whatever it is, it appears that it must then be inside someone. 1 Corinthians 4.20 <clears throat> says, For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. Power. So what we learn about the kingdom of God is that the kingdom of God is spiritual and it is not physical. The kingdom of God is spiritual. It is not physical. Now, I didn't define it. The Bible did. And that's important to understand. And we're going to see that God defines it for a reason. Now, turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians 15.50. 1 Corinthians 15.50. We're going to see just a little bit more. We're going to reinforce this thought that the kingdom of God is spiritual, not physical. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, we read this. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Now the context of this particular passage is the rapture of the church. Now you know that because if you read in verse 51 and 52 following, notice it says, Behold, I shew you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trump shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. <clears throat> so we have this rapture of the church, the church being taken out. Paul's addressing the glorified body that one day we'll receive at the rapture. And he, he noticed that flesh and blood are physical things. They can't inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdom of God is spiritual. It's made up of powers and principalities. It's made up of angels and spiritual beings. It's made up of God's creation, yes. But it's spiritual. It's not physical. By the way, if you're struggling with this, let me tell you that I've taught Bible college courses at other colleges. And let me tell you, the young people never, ever hardly get this because they won't listen to the Bible. They've got preconceived ideas. Remember one of the rules? You cannot go to the Bible with preconceived ideas. You've got to wipe it clean. You've got to let the God of the Bible and the Word of God speak for itself. I've watched young people. I've tested them over and over. And I've had young people, after I've given them weeks of study in the Word of God, gone to tons of verses, and had them do their own personal studies even on it. They come back and say things to me like, uh, 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 Don, um now, on the test, uh, I don't really believe that the kingdom of God is spiritual. Or that, uh, and, and so, if I write that what I believe, will it be marked wrong? I said, absolutely. In this class, we follow the Word of God. <clears throat> I said, when you go back home to your pastor and your church, believe whatever you want. But I said, if your pastor has a problem wants to learn, have him call me. We won't have to teach him this. Listen to me. I'm not trying to teach you something that's not in the book. Amen. It sounds nuts, though, doesn't it? It sounds crazy. You're going, no way, dude. This is not happening. But let me tell you, before it's over with, you're going to find, as we move through these next few weeks, probably more, much, many more of you than some of those young people, you're going to find, wow, this makes sense. It clicks. It clicks. All right? So, just stay with me. Follow through here. Now, again, we're talking about this kingdom of God and kingdom of heaven. Kingdom of God is spiritual. Turn to John 3. 
John chapter 3. Here it is again. Those guys are great, though. I love those kids. They eventually get, some of them call me later and say, you know, I was reading this book and, you know, they said the same thing you did. And I said, really, they did? What do you think about it? It made perfect sense. I'm thinking, it's kind of like when a visiting, visiting preacher comes in. The visiting preacher says the exact same thing the pastor does, but what's, what does everybody do? Preacher, that's the best message I've ever heard on that in my life. That's unbelievable, man. It's changed my life. And I go, praise the Lord. I'm not upset about it. I think it's great. But the truth is, is that sometimes it, this stuff sounds nuts. And it does. It's, it's really off the charts, as Brother Hamblin would say. <clears throat> now, John chapter 3. But it's really not. It's Bible. It's easy. It's simple once we figure it out. John 3. Notice this again. We're talking about the, 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 the um, kingdom of, of God. In John chapter 3, a very familiar passage, we read about Nicodemus. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Again, verse 6 says, That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Spiritual birth places you in a spiritual kingdom. You see that? It places you in a spiritual kingdom. Spiritual birth doesn't put you in a physical kingdom. It puts you in a spiritual kingdom. Okay? And, and that's what we see here. So you really can't say, well, here it is, or there it is, because you can't see it. It's not physical. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside you. And He reigns over the spiritual kingdom of God. It's not visible. Spiritual. It's, 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 it's spiritual. Okay? So the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. And if you've been saved, you were saved into that spiritual kingdom. You have Christ living in you, reigning over that spiritual kingdom. Okay? Christ reigns over the spiritual kingdom. Now, we have all, however, we have the kingdom of heaven too now. This really gets fun. It really does. It's, it's really cool stuff. The kingdom of God is always a spiritual kingdom, but the kingdom of heaven is going to change. It's totally, completely opposite. The kingdom of heaven is opposite. And again, as I told you, it's only referred to in the book of Matthew. But then it's also called something else. It's called the kingdom of Israel as well. And so you have to keep that in mind as we move along. And we'll look at that. Turn, if you would, to Hosea chapter 1, verse 4. It's a spiritual kingdom. And so, therefore, it's, it, I mean, the, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven we're going to find is opposite of that. And this kingdom of heaven is a literal, physical kingdom. It's literal and it is physical. <clears throat> Hosea chapter 1, verse 4. Again, it's called also the kingdom of Israel. Notice this passage in Hosea 1, 4. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu. 
and will cease, cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. The kingdom of the house of Israel. He's going to cause a kingdom of the house of Israel to cease. We're going to note, ultimately, that this is the kingdom of heaven as well. It's referring to it. Because you can't separate the physical reign of Israel from the physical, ultimately, kingdom, which is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, and we're going to discuss some reasons why that kingdom ceases as we move along an Old Testament survey and into the New Testament as well. We're going to break that down. You'll see those kingdoms as we move along and how they fit and how they function. Now, in Acts chapter 1, turn there if you would, please. In this particular passage, you're going to observe um, both kingdoms and some of their major differences, though. You're going to see them both here. Notice in chapter 1, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he shewed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus Christ is speaking to these men, these apostles, the, should I say these, these uh, disciples at this point, and he's going to share with them things of the kingdom of God. It's pretty plain. But see, the Jews don't want to hear about the kingdom of God. I mean, they're listening, they're listening to what he's saying, but that's not really what's on their heart and their mind. Look at the question that they asked the Lord Jesus Christ in verse 6. Now, <clears throat> when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? In the passage, the Lord is telling them about the kingdom of God. But they wanted the kingdom of heaven to be literally restored to the nation of Israel. That's what they really wanted. I mean, the kingdom of heaven is a literal, is the literal visible reign of Jesus Christ over the kingdoms of this earth. It's a literal thing. And that's exactly what they wanted. Remember the, the, the disciples arguing who would sit on the right and who would sit on the left? Why were they doing that? Because all throughout the entire Old Testament, they had heard that there was a coming Messiah and that He would ultimately rule and reign on the throne of David and that Israel would be number one among the nations. That they would rule. They're saying, hey, wait a second now, Jesus. We are curious. Um... When are you going to bring the literal kingdom into place? I hear what you're saying about the kingdom of God, but what about the kingdom of heaven? Because that's what we're really interested in, and that's what's been promised to us through the Old Testament prophets. Their question was a valid question. And, and it was a valid concern that they had. I mean, some people have implied that these disciples were backslidden. That, that they were somehow in the flesh. That they were, you know... 
not right with God. I mean, here he is speaking to them about the kingdom of God. I mean, what more would they want? And here they are whining and crying about a, a visible, physical kingdom where they get to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. What's the big deal? You know, what's their problem? That's not really the case at all. Look in Luke chapter 24, verse 25 through 27. We're going to realize here that these men knew exactly what they were asking and they knew and they had every right to ask it. Again, from our perspective, nothing matters but the kingdom of God. From our perspective, the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, He dies, is buried, raises again. We get saved. Praise God. We're raptured out. But listen, the Jew back then in the Old Testament, every one of their prophets foretold and pointed to a day when they themselves as a nation would be the nation of the entire world. That once again, even as was pictured there in Solomon's reign in 1000 B.C., they would one day reign again over all the kingdoms of the earth. That that kingdom, a a physical, visible kingdom, would one day be established again. Notice it says in Luke 24, 25-27, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, the Lord now, I mean, in the passage here, Jesus Christ, he meets and he speaks to these disciples on the road to Emmaus. This is after his resurrection. He personally teaches them the things concerning himself. And he goes to the entire Old Testament doing so. I mean, he expounded on them in all the scriptures. Well, let me tell you something. The New Testament wasn't written yet. So guess what? He's taking them through the Old Testament and showing himself to them through the Old Testament. Later, Jesus appears to the disciples and he does the same thing. But he even goes one step further. He gives them what the Bible calls understanding. In Luke 24, 45, a few verses down, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. So the question in Acts 1, 6 that was being asked by this group of disciples, the disciples who walked with him, the disciples who talked and lived with him for, th- for three years. The, t- the, the disciples who ultimately, the Bible tells us, had a 40-day crash course in the Old Testament taught by Jesus himself in person. It was a legitimate, quest- a legitimate question and concern. There was nothing unscriptural. There was nothing selfish about it. It was a kingdom that was promised to them and their people. And in John 5.39, he says, Search the Scriptures, friend, and they think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. They knew that Old Testament better than any Bible teacher that's ever lived. And so their question was based on factual prophecies from the Old Testament. Concerning what? A literal, visible kingdom that was promised to the nation Israel. Jesus himself even, he doesn't deny this request in the sense he doesn't, he doesn't say, fellas, you've really got it all wrong. You're all messed up. You misinterpreted. You misunderstood. No. 
he in a sense, in a sense confirms it in his response. There, confirms their concerns. Notice in Acts 1, 7 and 8. <clears throat> Acts 1, 7 and 8 says, And he said unto them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons, which the Father hath put in his own power. He's certainly not denying the fact that that kingdom is going to happen. It's just that, guys, listen. It's not for you to know that right now. But watch. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witness unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. In essence, what was Jesus saying? He's going, listen, I'm not going to tell you guys when it will come. Just get busy preaching. Just get with the program. Talk about me being risen from the dead. Get with the, get with the program. And that's what we see. The kingdom of heaven is a physical, literal kingdom. Now, that kingdom of heaven takes on several forms in the Bible. But it is always a physical kingdom on earth. Now, historically, we see the kingdom of heaven in the reign of the nation of Israel on earth, like I said, through the reign of Solomon, 1000 B.C. You see that. You read through that reign and you see that they were over all the nations, that they were, they were top nation, top dog. We see evidence of that. We see prophetically that's where that all falls. And it points us right to, ultimately, the doctrinal or, his, or, or prophetical uh, aspect of the kingdom, which is the establishment of the millennial reign. Ultimately, Jesus Christ returns and sets up a physical, visible kingdom on earth And we will have the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God at the same time. Okay, now what we're going to do is, over these next few weeks, we're going to go ahead and start looking at the Old Testament and running through and noting from time to time, is the kingdom of heaven in place here? Or isn't it? You know, it wasn't that long ago, just the other week, we showed a, a chart and we had a timeline. And we said, the times of the Gentiles began in 606 B.C. till the end of the age. We're going to find that there's no physical, visible kingdom of heaven on earth at this point. Because it's the times of the Gentiles. That's why there is no church or religious organization or institution that establishes leadership or headship over the nations. Because there is no kingdom of heaven on earth right now. The kingdom of God is here with us. And it's in us. We can't see it. Can't touch it. Can't feel it. But it's there. And so the kingdom of heaven is a literal, physical kingdom. On earth. (laughs) And the, the, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. And that's the distinction. And that is the Bible. Because when you begin to understand that difference, you begin to be able to take the Bible again on that timeline and begin to put things in place and rightly divide the word of truth. Again, these are things that don't get talked about much because these are the things that you're only supposed to know if you go to Bible college. I'm just going to be honest. But it's not. This is everything. These are things that people need to know that are Christians. Yeah. 
Because ultimately, listen, you have to stand in this world. You have to take a position for Christ. And you know, the reason why we're getting mowed over in the world is because we honestly don't know our Bibles. Because we don't know the real position or the stand we're to take. We don't really have the confidence in our position that we say we do. Oh, we've heard the preacher preach about things. We've heard him talk about things. But really to dig and to find answers for ourselves, many times we lack. And as a result of that, there's no personal conviction, no personal standards in place. It's all based on what we've been taught, told, and kind of how we just go, well, that's what the preacher says and that's what we do around here. Well, that's pretty lame. Because one day, you may be required to give your life for Christ. And honestly, I wouldn't stand for Christ if I was standing on my preacher's conviction or standard. I'd say, you know what? I'm not convinced that this is really that important anyway. I think I'll just go ahead and pass this time. But if you're convinced of it and God has convicted you of it, and you understand these truths, the Word of God... You won't quit then because you know what awaits you, like we said this morning. You got hope, man. You got a future that's bright if you just stand for Him. Young guys, you'll be light years ahead. You'll be light years ahead if you'll just take to heart what you're learning right now. You'll be light years ahead. There are Christians in this room, been Christians for 20 years, that have never heard anything like this in their life. You are so blessed. I can't even tell you how fortunate you are. I was almost 30 years old before I grabbed hold of these things. Well, I was 20... I went to Bible college, what, 27? I didn't learn these in Bible college, by the way. I learned these in my own studies. So, I'm just telling you, learn it while you got a chance. Get a hold of this thing. It opens up the Bible in a way that just makes it come to life, man. It's unbelievable when you start to understand that the Bible has purpose outside of just thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. Because that's what most people think the book's about. It's because they don't know what the Bible is about. It's about a king and his kingdom. It's a story about a king and a kingdom. And boy, is there a battle raging tonight. And I want you to know that you're in on it. We're all part of it. We can't let Satan win. So let's do our best to learn. If you, you're going to have questions along the way. You don't have to understand everything right off the bat. It took me, I can't tell you how long, to grasp some of these truths. But spend some time digging. Do your own study on the kingdom of God. Look up every reference. Look up every reference of the kingdom of heaven. Just start digging and figuring it out and studying it out. And see what you come up with. You're going to find that a lot of probably what you'll find is very similar to what I'm, I've just given you. But... You need to find it for yourself. Because it won't mean nothing unless you figure it out. Unless God gives it to you. Right? But there you have it today, okay? That's basically it. A battle. We're in it. We're soldiers. That's why God needs soldiers. Because it's a battle over a kingdom. We're in the midst of it all. Fighting and striving to bring glory to the one who rightly, rightfully deserves the kingdom. Jesus Christ. Father, we come to You. We thank You again for all You've done. Lord, we are a needy people. Father, I'm, I'm amazed.